Hello and welcome to the first episode of Anesthesia Stat. We're a podcast dedicated to discussing novel research, news, controversies, and educational topics within the field of anesthesia. Brought to you by the UC Irvine Department of Anesthesiology and Perioperative Care. My name is Vivek Galati, and I'm a CA2 at UC Irvine. Today we will be discussing a recent article in Anesthesia News, Interoperative Phenylephrine, Less Benign Than Thought, with one of the study authors, Dr. Ashish Khanna. As many of you know, phenylephrine is a potent alpha-1 agonist utilized heavily within the operating room as the first-line vasopressor of choice for many anesthesiologists when encountering intraoperative hypotension. This is likely due to a number of reasons, including availability, relatively benign safety profile, and ease of use peripherally for IV push administration. Additionally, it has been proposed that its physiologic effects vary depending on the vascular bed in question and the clinical context in which it is being administered, with some studies noting decreased renal and splanchnic perfusion with phenylephrine administration, despite lack of associated drops in cardiac output. All this considered, the effects of perioperative phenylephrine use on endpoints such as postoperative AKI are incredibly important considerations within the OR. Today, we are incredibly lucky to have on Dr. Ashish Khanna to discuss his research evaluating this relationship, as well as the importance of understanding and managing intraoperative hypotension on perioperative care. Dr. Khanna is an Associate Professor of Anesthesiology and Vice Chair for Research with the Department of Anesthesiology Section on Critical Care Medicine at the Wake Forest School of Medicine in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. He is also a member of the Wake Forest Center for Biomedical Informatics, the Center for Healthcare Innovation, and the Center for Wake Wake Forest Hypertension and Vascular Research Cardiovascular Science Center. He is currently Vice Chair for the American Society of Anesthesiologists Committee on Critical Care Medicine and Chair for the Abstract Review Committee on Critical Care Medicine. He is heavily engaged with the Society for Critical Care Medicine and is currently Chair-Elect for the Research Section. His research interests include prediction of postoperative respiratory and cardiac events on the regular nursing floor, use of large data sets for perioperative outcome research, effects of hypotension in critically ill patients, and use of novel vasopressors in shock states in the ICU. Dr. Khanna has more than 100 peer-reviewed papers, two dozen book chapters, editorials, invited non-peer-reviewed articles, and has been invited to talk about this work at prestigious national and international forums, most recently ASA 2021 in San Diego. Dr. Khanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, and uh, I'm excited to be here. Um, and um, again, you know, thank you. That was a very, very uh, generous uh, introduction. In in short, I, I'd say that I, I've been interested in clinical investigation and clinical outcomes research, and perioperative hemodynamics is a strong area of interest. And that's why you know, and you know of this, and you know of my work. And I'm I'm happy to talk to you guys more about it today. Absolutely. Let me just say the pleasure is all ours. Thank you for taking the time to come on today. Before we get going, though, Dr. Khanna, do you have any relevant disclosures to mention? Yes, I am a um, consultant for Edwards Life Sciences, and I am also a consultant for Medtronic. And, um, you know, although the work that I am reporting today has not been funded by either of these entities, um, there is um, relevant areas, especially in, in perioperative hypotension and hemodynamic monitoring, 
that would be um, sort of important disclosures here. Great, thank you. As we get started, I wanted to circle back and mention the fairly obvious point that intraoperatively, anesthesiologists aren't simply giving phenylephrine on a whim. We do it in response to intraoperative hypotension. Your recent, and if I may say so, excellent article in Anesthesia and Analgesia on the topic of adverse clinical outcomes associated with intraoperative hypotension served to both clarify and quantify the potential harm of these hypotensive events. Can you tell us about what you found? Yeah, so in short, we looked at about 25,000 patients um, at our institution. That's the uh, Wake Forest uh, Baptist Medical Center, which is a part of the Wake Forest University uh, system. And um, we, we included patients who had uh, non-cardiac surgery with uh, general anesthesia and a duration of surgical time of at least an hour and those who received phenylephrine either as an intravenous infusion of any duration or as three or more bolus doses. Um, our patients, um, you know, this, this data extraction was between periods of um, July 2016 and, and December 2019. And in these 25,000 adults that were the part of the initial cohort that was uh, included in this analysis, we found that there was a, um, a strong association between the risk of post-operative acute kidney injury and uh, the receipt of either bolus or infusion uh, doses of phenylephrine as a um, primary vasopressor. So, uh, you know, again, the, these, these, these were interesting outcomes, especially because um, we all know that phenylephrine is a, you know, is, is a go-to drug for, for a lot of us in the operating room. Uh, we use it at will. Uh, we uh, generally feel it is very benign. It helps maintain blood pressure. And we all know that hypotension in and of itself is also associated very strongly with uh, post-operative acute kidney injury. So uh, the results were interesting. The results um, will have far-reaching clinical consequences and will have consequences in how we think about practice parameters and, and how we work with our patients in day-to-day in -day clinical practice. But the results are also interesting because uh, we as the authors want to be very careful that the message is appropriate use of vasopressors rather than letting a patient stay hypotensive because you feel that phenylephrine is associated with harm. Absolutely. And it really felt like from your the article that was published in Anesthesia and Analgesia on the topic of adverse clinical outcomes associated with intraop hypotension this past summer, leading into this most recent um, article in Anesthesiology News on the side effect profile of phenylephrine. It's helping to almost build a case about the, the cost-benefit analysis between hypotension and the cost of the treatment that we use to manage it. And, you know, I think it really is very enlightening how you're helping to quantify and clarify this. Yeah, no, again, you know, uh, l l like I said, Vivek, um, you know, the the, the, uh, let me go back to why we, we, we started thinking about this work. 
And I guess the, the, the reason, as you well stated, is yes, cost-benefit analysis, you, you want to know the cost of uh, harm associated with hypotension versus the interventions we use to fix hypotension. On the other hand, um, you know, I, amongst several others for the last, you know, five to 10 years have, have also published extensively on the harms associated with perioperative hypotension. And knowing all of that, I, I do feel that over the last five years or so, uh, we've been very careful as, as the anesthesia and perioperative medicine and, and critical care community to, to take care of hypotension. Uh, I think we, we're diligent, we, we do a good job, uh, and we understand that hypotension has um, strong associations with organ system failure. So in trying to intervene to correct hypotension, a, a reflexive action is a vasopressor. Now, the, the issue is that I've seen uh, this very commonly, that patients get hypotensive and because phenylephrine is easily available and can be administered through a peripheral IV, uh, we'll, start, we'll start with boluses, then we'll go on to an infusion, and there's lots and lots and lots of patients who come out of the operating room with a little bit of a phenylephrine infusion and, you know, maybe an hour later in the PACU or sometimes within 15 minutes of getting to the PACU, there is, you know, patient's normal tensive again and doesn't need that infusion anymore. So all of that sort of led us to, to start thinking about, you know, whether we're doing true justification to the use of phenylephrine. It was the vasopressor really indicated or was it a matter of being in an appropriate plane of anesthesia or appropriately giving more fluids or, on, or looking at flow and looking at inotropy, right? And that is why myself and um, Dr. Siegel, uh, Scott Siegel, who's my chairman, and our uh, data analyst and um, statistician, uh, Amit Saha, uh, started working on this project together. In fact, you know, Dr. Siegel had, had started talking to me about the, the extensive use of phenylephrine, not just here at Wake Forest, but at other institutions where he had been before. And, and he had started questioning that. So we started looking at our internal data, but again, um, your point's well taken. However, I do want the audience to realize that don't let your patients be hypotensive, but Absolutely. <laughs> understand what you want to do and when you want to do it, rather than just have that knee-jerk reaction to you know increasing afterload and giving a vasopressor. Absolutely. Um, one of the, the interesting points, too, that I found from the article was and correct me if I'm wrong, but it did seem that the need for bolus administration, both independently and when coupled with an effusion, did reveal a correlation to increased post-op AKI relative to an infusion alone. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, or am I interpreting this correctly? Yes. Uh, so, so you're absolutely right, Vivek. The, the risk of post-operative AKI was significantly increased in patients who received three or more boluses of phenylephrine or a phenylephrine infusion of any duration. 
compared with propensity matched controls. Now, this was the primary outcome. Um, when we then further explored uh, deeper uh, into the data, we also saw that the risk of AKI progressively increased when phenylephrine was used only as an infusion, only as three or more bolus doses, and both as an infusion and three or more bolus doses. And the relative risk was about uh, 20% when phenylephrine was used only as an infusion, was about uh, slightly more than 30% when three or more bolus doses were used. And when both infusion and bolus doses were used together, that risk, relative risk went up to nearly 40% uh, more than uh, a similar propensity matched control. Now, um, I, I'd like to say that um, this is interesting, it almost tells you that uh, when you, uh, when, when a patient needs both boluses of phenylephrine and an infusion, that there is some sort of, uh, you know, cumulative harm associated with it. Um, and, and on the other hand, you know, we, I will say that very few of us tend to start phenylephrine infusions right away. Um, as, as you and I well know, the, the first reaction to any intraoperative hypotension, and typically that happens as soon as you induce anesthesia, uh, sort of that peri-induction hypotension where patient's hypotensive after some, you know, propofol has been pushed and the, the surgical incision has not been made yet. That response is mostly a, a push of phenylephrine or a push or two of phenylephrine till you're waiting for, you know, the surgical stimulus to kick in. Um, I, I will say that, again, I, I'd have the, the readers who, who finally read this paper be very cautious in interpretation of this data. Um, the, the reason I, I want them to be cautious is because Yes, there is a signal that, that says an infusion and three or more boluses together are more harmful than an infusion by itself or boluses by themselves. But this is not a um, prospectively done interventional trial. So it's, it's difficult to tease out why an infusion was used by itself in some patients versus why were there other patients who got three or more bolus doses and some patients believe it or not got many bolus doses without an infusion being started right i mean was was there some sort of um preference of the um, anesthesia team or was there uh, short bursts of hypotension that could be managed by bolus doses and could not be and, and did not necessitate an infusion that part of the data is difficult to parse out uh, you looking at everything r retrospectively. So yes, you know, as, as you well stated, uh, a signal for harm with both infusions and bolus doses, and not just a single bolus, but three or more boluses. So just be, you know, aware of the fact that we did just didn't include anyone who needed even one bolus of phenylephrine. But be careful again that this is not prospectively done uh, interventional da data and, and we'd have to be very cautious because we don't know why these selections were made and you know despite best efforts at uh, propensity matching and with best efforts at controlling for confounding there are some things that you just cannot control for when you look at an electronic medical record mm -hmm. retrospectively.
Absolutely. It's a signal, like you said. And, you mm-hmm. know, I think uh, the classic example is that like witching hour period, post-induction, pre-surgical incision, you have 10, 15, sometimes more minutes of no stimulation. And yeah, to not treat that hypotension would be frankly criminal. Um, yes, absolutely. And in fact, you know, you if, if your uh, listeners want to look at that data, there is an excellent paper in in the journal Anesthesia by one of my close colleagues and collaborators, Dr. Kamal Maheshwari, uh, who actually looked at peri-induction hypotension and found that um, a third of all hypotension that happens intraoperatively is peri-induction hypotension. And that hypotension is independently and strongly associated with acute kidney injury. So hypotension that is in our hands as anesthesiologists is strongly and, uh, and uh, strongly and independently associated with acute kidney injury postoperatively. Um, that data is, you know, you, you cannot argue f- against that. And we've got to be very careful and not allow our patients to be hypotensive. Absolutely. I think it's so important that someone's looked at that as well, because intuitively, we all kind of know that that is the the most difficult period to maintain normotensive status. And it is important to to quantify that risk and to really keep it in the front of our heads. You know, it's too easy to to get sidetracked as you're, you know, placing an A-line, central line, second IV, your hands are a little bit busy um, to, to miss that. And it's that's great to see that, that that's being looked at. Now, again, uh, Vivek, I'd, I'd also like to, and I didn't mention this when I was talking about our results, um, the the results, um, you know, and the data um, is, is compelling. Uh, but what we're also trying to look at is whether there is a dose-response relationship of the use of phenylephrine in terms of the total duration of use and the total cumulative amount used in micrograms and whether that has any um, associations with uh, acute kidney injury. That is a little bit of an exploratory analysis that is still in progress and I will uh, keep some of that uh, sort of as a suspense for for your listeners. But I will say that you know, we're finding some very interesting um, outcomes uh, as part of this exploratory analysis that we're still trying to, uh, to do a deeper dive with the data and, and uh, we'll probably have, you know, the full paper out soon, but the, the, the paper when in print should actually help the anesthesia teams in the operating room really construct a little bit of a dose response curve when they look at how long and for how much of a total area under the curve they've been, they've been using uh, phenylephrine on, on their patients. Excellent. Wow. Yeah, we are looking forward to that. And hopefully we can discuss that sometime in the future. Um, additionally, I wanted to, to just kind of delve a little deeper into something you had mentioned earlier and sort of how we view hypotension and given that there is this need to, to be a little more aware and cognizant of our use of phenylephrine, given the potential for some uh, post-operative issues. How do you manage hypotension? Has this finding changed your uh, management style? Well, I, I'd say that um, 
it's um it's 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 relatively early days for this finding to change management styles however i will say that even before we did this work um there's been sort of a you know there's been you know lots and lots of work where you know hypotension associated with you know organ system failure but um you know for the last couple of years uh, folks had rightfully started asking well you know we know that hypertension is associated with harm but what do we do about it and um i guess you know there there's there's several schools of thought but the two or three major lines of investigation are um well can we best predict hypotension before it happens that's number one well if we can predict it before it happens and start proactive interventions do not allow hypotension to happen then uh, we've taken care of things uh, sort of you know we, we've taken effective care of things the other sort of mechanism would be when hypotension happens can you effectively triage and say this is a contractility issue this is a volume issue or this is maybe in some cases both a contractility and volume issue or is, or is this simply uh, vasoplegia and vasodilatation that needs a afterload increasing agent and um, and and hopefully then once you've triaged that then you can look at the appropriate intervention and, and fix things and and then uh, there's also folks who believe that you know uh, yes blood pressure is really really important but more important than simply looking at macro hemodynamics we should be focusing on microcirculation microcapillary flow and you know truly uh, perfusion based on microcapillary flow that tissues and and organ systems are seeing and and that is where the world of perioperative hypotension is headed towards right some of some of these broad areas is what we're trying to capture in terms of clinically changing how we practice i i do feel that across this country and indeed across the world there is more awareness of intraoperative and perioperative hypotension i would like it to be i i, I would say that as a strong proponent of uh, intraoperative and perioperative hemodynamics i would like the awareness to be even better um, i'd like i'd like for folks to do an even better job in terms of uh, being uh, guardians for for hemodynamics for our patients um, i have seen that change uh, i've also seen a change in paradigm where um, we're starting to use more than just blood pressure to gauge the effectiveness of hemodynamics um, and um, understand that you know we don't always have to use a swan gans to to measure um, cardiac output there are other mechanisms to do that um, understand that we don't always have to put an, inv an invasive arterial line to have continuous blood pressure monitoring and and there and putting all these devices together and all of the data that comes to us together we should be able to look at the the other side of hemodynamics as well as in in a rather than just focusing on a systolic diastolic and a map and and yes some of those things have started to change although there is a long 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 way to go 
um, because, as, as you and I well know, um, that you know any any sort of um, any sort of um, culture change in in medicine takes takes um, several decades to to occur, and we've only been about you know ten years of uh, lots of strong data with hypotension, I'd say. Definitely, and I think one of the points you brought up is very interesting. The progression and eventual adoption of monitors to help us better understand this phenomena and let us under better understand things like the microcirculatory flow aspect, and that might be a little further down the line, but earlier on, a predictive measure to help us get ahead of hypotension. I think in a lot of ways that might be the, the holy grail type of thing. It, it's interesting, you know, we use things like EEG monitors and whatnot because of these very rare, very, very rare cases of intraop awareness, but this phenomenon of intraop hypotension, we don't have a similar monitor, and I think it would, given the how common it is, I wouldn't be surprised to see it adopted fairly quickly, one would hope. Yeah, I guess, um, I mean, the, the short answer is, uh, is yes. Um, that, that's, that's the hope that uh, better and smarter monitoring and, uh, you know, the general move towards predictive analytics would help us adopt all these monitors um, sooner than later. However, I will say that, you know, and I say this all the time, there is this sort of bridge between the world of clinical outcomes research and the world of clinical practice, and we have to cross that bridge. And sometimes as clinician scientists who who work on trials and, you know, devices and monitors and algorithms, uh, you don't realize that uh, something that comes out in the JAMA or, or in anesthesiology that that says that, oh, you know, you use this algorithm and, and your patients will have less hypotension. That is, it, it looks great when it comes out and reported as a, as a paper, as a study, but understand that the study is done under special conditions and, and is protocolized where someone's watching over the, the trial, you know, there's uh, there's um, appropriate randomization, there's adherence to protocol, there's, there's certain rules that are followed for the trial to be scientifically robust. <clears throat> However, in, in real life, again, um, when, when you go to the operating room today or tomorrow, uh, real life can sometimes be slightly different from uh, what's reported in, in the best of clinical trials, right? Um, that is where we have to cross that bridge. So for, for all of us who, who work as clinician scientists, um, try and make sure that your clinical trials mimic real life uh, patients. Try and make sure that your clinical trials and their outcomes uh, can be extrapolated to real-world uh, real clinical medicine. And one of the biggest problems there is, even though all of these prediction algorithms look really attractive, when you try and um, have, uh, you know, 100% of your Department of Anesthesia adhere to using a new set of monitors or a new set of monitors that will govern what you do as your next intervention, that in and of itself is a huge leap of faith mm -hmm. and and for the yeah. provider um, in the operating room to accept that monitor the prediction algorithm or 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 something else that has been published mm -hmm. I, I will say that you sh you should spend a lot of time 
trying to uh, t- trying to ensure compliance with with you know whatever you, you want to achieve in the operating room if if you want to truly see the benefit uh, one of the biggest mistakes we make is we say the paper's been published the data's strong now let's let now let's try and 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 do this and and we don't do it quite as the way that the paper did it then we don't see the same outcomes and then we say oh the paper must be rubbish mm-hmm. no that's <laughs> that's not true uh, i guess you know what i'm trying to get at is um there 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 is a little gap between research and and real world medicine and we have to try and meet somewhere in between to try and make sure that we're we're all talking to each other absolutely a recommendation that a monitor can give but can't necessarily be the yeah, all in you, one Mm-hmm. If you don't follow the recommendation, mm-hmm. then nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, you know, with that, I would like to bring our introductory show to a bit of a conclusion. Um, we, we'd like to end things on a bit more serious of a topic, the, the bonus binge segment, where we ask our guests, what have you been binging? Dr. Khanna, any recommendations on a book or show that has left you struggling to put down or turn off? Mm-hmm. Uh, I always tell people as a, as a father to uh, three boys aged um, seven um, and four. I've got twins who are four years old and an elder one who's seven. Uh, if you ever uh, come to my house in the evening, the only thing I binge on is um YouTube videos of um, like uh, random nursery rhymes or ABC songs or <laughs> or Paw Patrol or <laughs> things of that nature. I think I've lost the ability to uh, 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 binge on uh, non-scientific uh, <laughs> literature or or a TV show. However, I will say that once they do go to bed and I do have some time on my hands, very rarely, um, I like to, uh, there's a show um, called um, Air Crash Confidential and um, Air Crash Investigations. Um, And I've been very interested in aviation um, and aviation as as a science in, in general. And because I, uh, I, you know, the whole concept of, you know, uh, big planes going down and trying to understand what happened to them is, is sort of very appealing uh, some way to me. So I've, I've binge watched um, several episodes of that. And I can, if, uh, if I were given a full day to myself in a hotel room, probably I'd um, just watch that from morning to night and I could do that <laughs> my wife thinks it's uh, it's very uh, negative to to watch planes go down and and people die but I do feel it um, there is it somehow appeals to my inner anesthesiologist self to understand what we do in terms of crisis management absolutely nothing makes you feel better than landing a burning plane <laughs> true 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 excellent uh, well before we log off, I just want to give a big thanks for thanks is due. You know, thank you, Dr. Khanna, for coming on the show today. No, thank you, Vivek, and um, you know, thank you to um, um, you know the, the, your uh, your your um, entire team for inviting me. And um, 
again, you know, discussions on perioperative hypotension and perioperative hemodynamics can go on forever and ever. I did not get into the weeds of technicalities of how we did our multivariable logistic regression or how we uh, did our propensity matching for the different variables to to sort of ensure that there was minimal confounding in our data set. However, um, you know, just staying at very high level, I did want to convey a message that hypotension is extremely important. There is no way we can ignore it. We have to treat it, but we have to use some uh, common sense to treat it rather than just jumping to an afterload increasing agent that gives us instant gratification in terms of seeing our numbers on the screen go up in terms of MAP and, and blood pressure. I, I really want uh, the trainees and, and every, everyone else listening to this to understand that flow matters as much as perfusion mm -hmm. pressure. So please start thinking about flow in your day-to-day -day practice. And yes, if anyone has any specific questions about this analysis, I'd be happy to, you know, you know, if you want to share emails or contact information, I'm more than happy to answer specific questions as well. Okay, yeah, absolutely. I, we can add something into the show notes for that. And I think that's such a great and relevant point. Just increasing afterload to make numbers look better doesn't always tell the full story of flow to particular organs. And hey, maybe that has a, something to do with the study findings that you found. Um, with that said, additionally, I want to thank Dr. Alap Shah and our anesthesia stat team, including Dr. Raman Rahimian, Dr. Chan Jung, who have worked tirelessly behind the scenes to help make this podcast happen. And finally, a big thanks to the UC Irvine Department of Anesthesiology for helping to fund this endeavor. And last but not least, a huge thank you to you, the listeners at home, for tuning in. Please like and subscribe to the podcast and check us out at anesstat.com, A-N-E-S stat.com. From your friends at Anesthesia Stat, that's a wrap. Signing off and see you next encounter.